like that, right? It takes a little bit of time in the beginning to to think about it and say, okay, like I, you know, I have to spend time now. If it's not broke, don't fix it. That's the uh, mindset I think that plagues healthcare providers and and actually runs practices of any sort into the ground. Because what happens is you can be a successful uh, clinician and actually increase your roster, but the thing is your processes aren't uh, growing, aren't able to scale with you. So you're you're actually then inundating yourself with so much uh, manual process, paperwork, even potential redundancies that you might not even be you might be cognizant to, but you're saying okay, but it's this is how it is, and naturally us as humans, nobody likes change, right? So you, know, you have to embrace change, whether you're it's a new business or an existing business, you have to be willing to embrace change. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Dr. Sneha Ghazi, and welcome back to another episode on Fit as a Fiddle. I'm a physical therapist and owner of Sneha Physical Therapy in New York City. I'm also the founder and executive director of Physical Therapy International Service Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit that brings free health resources to underserved communities all over the world. I am obsessed with the idea that if you feel better inside and out, you live a better life. Each episode on Fit as a Fiddle brings you phenomenal guests in the health and wellness space who share inspiring tips and tangible advice. I'm glad you're joining this community of listeners who strive to keep their mind, body, and spirit healthy and thriving. All things health and wellness starts right here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode on Fit as a Fiddle. Our guest today is Milan Rastogi. He is the CFO and COO of Universa Care, and he is here today to talk to us a little bit about the work that they do in the company and the impact that he's making across many, many people's lives and his community and beyond. So welcome to the show, Milan. Thank you so much, Sneha, for the warm introduction, and I'm um, you know, happy to be here on, uh, on Fit as a Fiddle. I always listen to your podcast. I was hoping I would have my uh, opportunity. <laughs> to... Oh, well, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Well, we're excited to have you. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you into this journey um, and into kind of healthcare, because I know that that's not technically your background, but it's kind of brought you into this awesome space that we all love now. Um, but before that, for a little tidbit to our listeners, um, Millen and I know each other because Millen was a member of my husband's dance company. Um, and so uh, we have kind of crossed bats through dancing um, over the last almost, you know, eight years or something like that. So that's a little fun fact about how we first connected, but here we are <laughs> talking about healthcare now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy how the world works, right? I mean, uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, one thing I will say, like, like you mentioned, I mean, I didn't start off in the healthcare space, I started off in finance. And uh, for me, when I had first started uh, realizing that I need to learn something and learn a thing or two about what healthcare is about, I went and I talked to every single one of my friends and their friends and whoever I could who could tell me more about just the landscape and, um, you know, how things work and how do you even, you know, what kind of schooling do you even need to get through to, uh, to, to get licensed and what kind of tests you need to take. And I always found that to be, um, I mean, there was a steep learning curve for me in the beginning. 
uh, now I'm pretty familiar, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's only through, uh, knowing individuals like you and, and others in my life that I was really able to, um, you know, get myself up to speed in the healthcare industry, um, uh, quickly. So thank you. Welcome <laughs> to the healthcare space where we're, we're happy to have you here. And I think that, I mean, one of the things we'll talk about, um, on the show, and I'm sure you'll expand on as well is that, um, often people in healthcare are like really good at healthcare, but really bad at everything else, <laughs> like the business side of things and the operation side of things. And a lot of times, like, you know, we're really good at treating patients and doing what we need to do and our very specific scope of practice. But I think that, you know, what you bring to the picture and why we're doing this podcast also is to kind of, um, let people know that there's more to just treating patients in order to run a successful practice or be able to, you know, um, optimally engage in patient client relationships. There's so much more that goes around it. And as a business owner myself, I know that it's a lot. And uh, I think it's important for people who are in your scope, who know more about the business side of things, the finance side of things to help support that. So that at the end of the day, it's about patient care and delivering, you know, care in the best way that we can. And so I think both pieces of the puzzle are really important. So I'm excited to chat with you on what you did with universal care and, you know, for the audience listening. And so you kind of get, um, um, you know, can, we can kind of guide this conversation, um, if you are a healthcare provider of any kind or a patient facing provider of any kind, um, you know, this, these kinds of conversations are important because while it's great to know, you know, the best way to treat a patient for a best diagnosis, again, we need to make sure that we take a look at our work in a comprehensive way. So um, having said that, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what kind of brought you into universal care and what your role is. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, Universal Care um, has is actually a family-run business. So my mom actually started this business 13 years ago, and um, I actually came on uh, when she was actually towards the end of her uh, interest in the business. Actually, so she was actually thinking of uh, selling the business, and actually for the longest time, I had no idea what my mom had ever done. I mean, she really. Uh, she, it, it was incredible. I mean, the way that she was able to uh, manage all of her employees, as well as uh, just keep the day-to-day -day, uh, operations flowing so smoothly. I mean, it was, it was very impressive for um, somebody who, you know, also does not have a healthcare background. So my mom, a lot of people think that because my mom had a home care agency, she was already in healthcare or she was some kind of clinician, but actually she was a software engineer. And, um, you know, what interested her and what got her into the uh, home care space was, she used to do a medical alert system, which we still have a little bit of business of. Um, it's called Response Link. So uh, just think about your, you know, help I'll fall in and I can't get up type of, uh, uh, you know, offering, right? So a little pendant uh, that seniors uh, can wear on the, around their neck or around their uh, wrist, and they can basically press it whenever they might need help. So it um, notifies the authorities um, immediately, and it dispatches a 911 ambulance. So just in case anybody um, falls, trips, this is really more important and prevalent for seniors who live alone, uh, because they typically could find themselves, let's say, God forbid, they have a fall, they could be on the floor for days sometimes um, before somebody even realizes or before they can get help. So my mom started this business 13 years ago, and um, I actually decided to come and join her uh, when she was thinking about selling it. And um, one thing that was really interesting to me was uh, that, you know, she, the home care space is so vast. There's so much opportunity and the, the space is growing 
um, infinitely. But also in, in that, there's some very unique challenges to the home care space that make it very difficult for smaller pr providers to actually uh, thrive in this industry. Now, you're basically up against a very tight labor market and workforce, um, lots of competition in the market. And uh, that was one re you know, few of the reasons why she was looking to um, you know, get out of the business. And I decided that after looking at it financially, I, I just uh, my background is primarily in operations and um, financial uh, reporting and financial analysis. So when I was given an opportunity to look at my mom's business, it was, I really looked at it from an objective perspective as an outsider looking in. And I was just truly amazed. I mean, I, that was one of the biggest reasons as to why I decided that I wanted to uh, give it a shot to revamp the business and with my own vision and, um, you know, with my own blood, sweat and tears was because I could see that at least from a numbers perspective, uh, there was a way that we could make it work. Now, the journey is never usually easy to profitability and it usually takes uh, many years, lots of planning and uh, you know, there's always some kind of unforeseen um, issues that come up along the way. Uh, but for me, I, I just even outside of the financial perspective, I saw it as an opportunity to one, not only keep this legacy that my mom created alive, uh, but also really impact the lives of people on a daily basis. The work that our caregivers do uh, regularly, I, you know, whether you believe in God or not, I, I think it is a you know, these individuals do work for a higher power. I mean, they're here to uh, provide uh, support and ultimately contribute to the uh, liveliness uh, of someone in you know later stage of their life, which makes all the difference. I mean, we have so many patients who uh, have come to us and have been on our uh, roster and, and under our care for years. We have three uh, clients of ours who are over the age of 100. And um, they've been with us for almost five, six years now. And, and I truly believe that the uh, longevity of their lives, of course, it's probably in their diet. They probably drink the special water or something. So I've, I've always tried to get their secrets out of them. I'm still working on it. So, uh, you know, maybe after this uh, podcast, if I ever find out, I'll let you guys know. You too. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, God bless. Over 100. I mean, I, I would be, I mean, that, that, that's incredible. And um, but but a lot of times, and even the family members, they're very vocal about this with us. They always say that it's because of the support that their family member, their loved one gets from the caregivers and the nurses that we provide in their home, in their the comfort of their own home, um, that really make all of the difference. So um, I, I saw the, this business as an opportunity for me to uh, give back while also to uh, maintain a legacy uh, that my mom had started. Um, you can't just start a 11-year-old uh, business you know, in a month, right? So uh, that, that really holds a lot of value. And um, you know, in our uh, industry, we really care for our clients and our patients the way that we would care for our own loved ones. So um, that, that's where that family touch really goes, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the extra mile. So that's just a little bit about uh, how I came into the business and then, you know, what got me involved. Well, that's amazing. And I completely resonate with the home care aspect of things, uh, because as you know, I also treat most of my patients in their homes and there's just something really invaluable about being in somebody 
somebody's like own house. There are honestly, there are times where I walk into a home for the first time and um, the patient or their family member will offer me water or something. And it's, it's just a completely different experience because you're in their home, you're in their space. There is this like level of vulnerability for everybody because it's not this like, you know, white coat, you know, office where you have to go through a receptionist and all these barriers to finally like be able to meet your patient or interact with them. Um, so I totally understand. And especially for older folk, um, who I treat as well, I treat, um, a lot of my oldest patient right now is actually 91, I want to say 90 or 91. Um, but you know, it, there really is a nice touch to that when somebody, you know, it has a little bit of less mobility or lack of mobility, um, and you're able to go and deliver them the care that they need where they don't have to, you know, have that stress of leaving their environment and their comfort space. So I'm totally on board with, with that whole piece. Um, so to get a little sense of all the different types of people that um, are care providers that work in universal care, could you kind of break that down for us? Is it just nurses? Um, who? What kind of different specialties do you guys have? Sure. So right now we uh, primarily have uh, power professionals. So those are the home health aides and certified nursing assistants. Uh, who help individuals in their home. We also provide caregivers for facilities as well. So home can mean different things for different people. Um, but we, the vast majority of our business is currently on the paraprofessional side. Um, but we also provide uh, skilled nursing care. So we have infusion nurses, which we do a lot of business of. So these are uh, registered nurses who go into the homes of individuals and uh, administer antibiotics via IV medic uh, infusion. So this will be through catheters inserted either at the hospital or at an inpatient facility. Um, and you'll see, we'll get patients that run the gamut, uh, individuals who might need your simple antibiotics and uh, maybe lipids, or then, you know, on the other end, you'll have chemotherapies and um, individuals who need uh, specific types of medications infused over long periods of time. So uh, those are the two main areas of which we primarily focus on in universal care. Um, and we also just on the side, we have a staffing arm of our agency. So we provide uh, medical staffing services to all sorts of healthcare providers. So it could be facilities, uh, doctor's offices, uh, private practices, you name it, other home care agencies. So we, we help uh, find and uh, vet as well as place, let's say, administrative staff for individuals uh, to utilize in their own home care agency. Um, it gives us an opportunity to diversify our revenue as well as, you know, not put all of our eggs in one basket, because mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we learned, especially after COVID, which was a, a very unique experience for all, was that, you know, certain demographics and, and patient populations will stop receiving care if something like that happens. So it really uh, created a, a tight situation for us. So since then, we've always said, okay, let's Let's try to not spread ourselves too thin, but, you know, try to service uh, individuals across the, um, you know, care continuum uh, in, in different ways uh, that, that uh, you know, we're allowed to under our license. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's comprehensive and, you know, you can help so many more people that way. Um, so let's kind of touch into the business and finance aspect of things, which is your specialty. Um, I know that you kind of came in and did a lot of revamping and, you know, have been able to expand the services and all the ways that you just mentioned. So for somebody who's listening, who is a care provider, 
um, who's maybe working on their business, what are some things that you kind of found in universal care that you were able to revamp or change that you think could be applicable to other people in their own practices and their businesses? Yeah, sure. Definitely. So one unique challenge of universal care was that, uh, was that we actually had to go through quite a bit of transformational internal change. See, fortunately, unfortunately, depending how you look at it, uh, we had a, existing business. So we had existing roster, we had existing patients, uh, we already had a foundation, irrespective of whatever that foundation looks like, that foundation is still there. So there was a lot of just paperwork that we even needed to go through. Everything was uh, done on paper before I had joined. So there was no technology at all involved. Um, So it it really depends on the type of provider. So I'll just touch on both, right? So if you're a a provider who um, has some existing uh, legacy systems, right, you've already been practicing and you have a patient load and you're trying to institute um, some kind of changes to your organization, uh, first thing you need to do is really do a a, um, 30,000 foot view analysis of your organization and prioritize where you need to spend most of your time because, it's very easy, and as I'm sure you know, to you know make that long, never-ending list of yours, right? That uh, you just keep adding more things to because you might realize that some of those single bullet items aren't granular enough, and you know the uh, it's it's going to be a longer process to actually get that task fully checked off your list. So. You know, any providers that are, uh, you know, dealing with any kind of legacy system, you always want to just try to give yourself an objective view of your organization. And sometimes just think, uh, you know, how can I streamline this to the best of my ability? You should always have automation and streamlining um, in mind. And I know those are, you know, big terms and they might not mean a lot to many people, but um, it really requires you to take a, uh, with a fine tooth comb, you know, analyze your process beginning to end and really understand where are you spending most of your time? For example, I'll use uh, our paperwork um, that, you know, we streamlined significantly in our organization. So before nurses would be going into people's homes and we had such a big packet of paperwork. Now it was all required. It all, you know, needed According to the regulations, this is what was required. This is what we needed to have on file for any new um, start of care and any new patient that's coming onto our um, you know, roster, right? And you can have, you know, one thing I know is I saw there were 10 forms, but six of them are redundant. You know, they, they, they cover the same thing. So little things like that, right? It takes a little bit of time in the beginning to, to think about it and say, okay, like I you know, I have to spend time now. If it's not broke, don't fix it. That's the uh, mindset I think that plagues healthcare providers and and actually runs practices of any sort into the ground. Because what happens is you can be a successful uh, clinician and actually increase your roster. But the thing is your processes aren't uh, growing, aren't able to scale with you. So you're, you're actually then inundating yourself with so much uh, manual process, paperwork, even potential redundancies that you might not even be, you might be cognizant to, but you're saying, okay, but it's, this is how it is. And naturally us as humans, nobody likes change, right? So you, know, you have to embrace change, whether you're, it's a new business or an existing business, you have to be willing to embrace change, but really nobody likes it. So, you know, you have <laughs> to have a, a you know, a, a very good uh, 
a strong mindset. So uh, with our nurse clinical paperwork, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time, but if you organize things, you put it all on one sheet of paper, you streamline it, you make them fillable PDFs, you know, and we, we basically took away all the administrative paperwork from nurses in the client's home because then our coordinators in office can take care of that. Then what happens is it allows the clinician to really focus 110% of their time and energy on the patient, on the person who is receiving the care. And that's something that we hear, you know, whenever I speak to nurses, I speak to nurses, uh, new nurses that we're onboarding, current nurses that we have on our roster on a daily basis. I ask them all the time why do you want to do home care? Why do you do home care over working in a facility or in an inpatient uh, clinic? And 100% of them, I wouldn't say 100%, 99.9% of them say it's because uh, they get more time with the clients. They get to take, they get to really create a bond with the individual. They're not just a number then, right? And when you're working at a hospital, uh, you have 30 patients to see that day. You know, those 30 patients all have names and, and uh, backgrounds and, uh, and, and they could all be, you know, the most interesting people in the world, but you'll never know because your job is to go in there, get the paperwork done and, you know, rinse and repeat. So at the end of the day, uh, we, you always have to think about how can I make the lives of my employees and the people who are actually doing the work easier. And that's something that has honestly worked really well for our organization. Um, and I think will continue to uh, be you know, a, a key driver to our growth because I don't want to give my employees more work. I don't want to give my nurses more paperwork. I want to do everything that I can um, to streamline their processes and have them focus on what really matters. So um, that's you know kind of for existing businesses. So you always just want to think about how can you change, how can you streamline even those little things. You know that those five minutes saved, it really adds up. I promise you. And I understand it. You know you have to spend an hour then to fix whatever the process is. You have to think about it. You have to lay it out, and then you're not used to it. So then there is a chance that you don't do it like muscle memory the week after or whenever you need to do it the next time. But those little periods of uncomfort is actually when the most growth happens in, you can use that in a personal, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, you can definitely use that in, from a professional um, business standpoint. Um, those, those five minutes saved really change and differentiate you from the masses. And I'm all about that. Um, here at Universicare, we really focus on automation and, uh, you know, just not doing things because it's the way they've been done. It's really saying, okay, what is the requirement? What are the rules and regulations? And how do we maintain compliance with these while also minimizing the amount of administrative burden that it might have on everybody in the organization? Um, so so th that's, those are some you know, key pieces of advice. Now, if you're a new provider starting your business, um, and one thing I will mention, I mean, even though I didn't start this business, you know, we have complementary sister businesses that I've started kind of brought up to, you know, from the ground up. And, um, I, I think the same principles apply. You have to start, if you start off with the mindset and mentality of automation, you will, you won't even notice how streamlined your operations are because you've never had to live through the pain of fixing these things and going through the change. And 
and teaching everybody new processes, especially if you have a, a big um, staff. I mean, it, it takes time. So every change that you make, you have to be thinking in the back of your head, you know, is it worth it? And um, I, I always uh, make a, a case for you know, saving time, saving time of my coordinators, of my admins, of my recruiters, whatever I can do to make their life easier, I do. And, and I think that kind of mindset kind of is always missing um, uh, from, you know, new business owners, because the thing is, we're all just trying to get it done, right? I can't, th- how can I think about uh, automating it if, uh, you know, it's already automated, how can it be more automated? And that also requires a, a deep level of um, introspection, right? You have to reflect uh, upon yourself and your actions and what the actions of your employees are and how can you then help guide them and support them and, and be that um, voice of change in the organization. And, and like any, whether it's a healthcare organization, a financial firm, um, it always comes from the top down, right? So whatever the uh, managers are saying, however they're, uh, uh, you know, talking about a specific task or whatever their uh, mindset is, it ultimately permeates through the organization from a top down, um, uh, you know, method. So uh, just don't forget that. And it, it's it's easy to get caught up with everything. And I, I do it, you know, all the time. I mean, we if if I thought if I look back at when I first started this business, I thought I was going to be light years ahead of where I was at, at year one. In one year, I thought I would be able to come in and totally revamp everything and everything would just be perfect. And mom, how come you, you know, you do this in such a way and, you know, <laughs> let me come in with my, my younger millennial mindset and mom, you don't know what you're doing, you know, <laughs> man, I, I mean, I learned so much through just, the change process, the transformation of the organization, the the sheer volume. I mean, we weren't a large provider, but when you're in business 11 years and you only have paper documentation and multiple redundant copies of everything because there was a thought and a need for, you know, making these types of, uh, of processes, it just, it really creates a lot of burden on the organization. So, um, yeah, and, and also one thing I will say, whether you're new or uh, existing, don't give up, <laughs> you know, like you, there's, there are always days that, uh, uh, th- that are harder than others, but if, as long as you just, uh, have a, a good mindset and do things to lay off some steam, then, you know, the, the sky's the limit. <laughs> I love that. And I think that there's so much that you said, um, that I think a lot of people who are kind of get, hopefully get your wheels turning if you run a, a business or if you um, are a part of a business that um, you want to improve the quality of the you know care that's being provided, not from a you know direct patient to provider, but just from a systems perspective, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think there's a lot of statistics that I, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but how like more than 50% of a lot of doctors time that they work and are like, you know, in their offices are actually spent doing the paperwork as opposed to treating a patient. Um, I, I can't remember all the stats off my head, but it's still, it's a real epidemic paperwork documentation and administrative tasks um, in healthcare, but also like wellness and adjacent businesses around healthcare as well. So I think that it's really important to take a good look at it. And like Bill said, if um, you can get a professional who is qualified to really um, take that on to do the analysis and do the legwork to, um, you know, change some of the systems, then, you know, 
more power to you and more power to your business. And like I said, at the start, at the end of the day, it's providing awesome quality patient care um, or client care. And so um, anything that gets us one step closer to that, it's a big win for everybody. Um, but is there <laughs> anything else, Milan, that you feel like you uh, want to add today that you haven't already regarding your role or universal care or anything you want to share with our audience? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess one thing that I'm quite passionate about that I, whenever anybody comes into our organization, uh, whether they be employee or even, uh, you know, any clients of ours that are uh, private pay that might be exploring any kind of Medicaid options or uh, other ways to cover the cost of care. Um, you know, one thing that I really focus on and that I make, a, I, I'd spend a lot of time really just preaching to people because I don't think individuals understand the gravity of the situation that um, we are facing in the, in the future, right. For um, our parents and for generations to come is, uh, and you know, people don't, I don't think there's enough uh, news or even uh, chatter about this because by the time you're even thinking about this, it's already too late and there's too much going on in your head that you can't even think of uh, educating others on this. But, um, it's it's really planning for home care for your loved ones, um, and and this is something that we as millennials or uh, you know Gen Zers, uh, anybody who has any kind of uh, caregiving responsibilities for a family member or loved one, um, it really needs to think about is how am I going to uh, pay for this type of service? Um, home care is one of those very unique industries that can actually, in my opinion, never truly be um, fully disrupted by technology. What do I mean by that? It can, uh, you can never take away the home care attendance job of brushing someone who is bed bound, uh, brushing their teeth, right? Or combing their hair or giving them a, a bed bath. You can never take away that human interaction, unless you, uh, unless somebody has another good idea <laughs> that I haven't heard about. But um, you know, people feel comfortable with individuals, right? They're letting us into their home. They're letting us into the the privacy of their of their uh, bedrooms and their uh, their bathrooms. And this is a very private place for individuals. It's a place where um, they need to feel safe. So, so home care is one of those industries that are, in my opinion, uh, not going to. You can't disrupt uh, home care uh, with technology as much as you can disrupt other parts of healthcare. And uh, if you look at a graph, um, I saw this graph that showed the uh, industries most influenced by technology uh, ranked um, from you know highest to lowest. And uh, the the industry that was influenced the most by technology was finance, and at the very bottom of the list was healthcare. So almost every other industry besides healthcare is above healthcare when it comes to. Um, utilization of technology, as well as uh, implement innovation of technology, uh, technology, even I mean, it's, it's incredible. And it just shows that we have the next two decades, uh, one or two decades that, uh, you know, we're here, I mean, I think, gives a lot of opportunity for individuals who are looking in the healthcare space and are interested in technology and automation and, uh, you know, the streamlining of processes to take advantage of that. Uh, but one thing that's really important for um, you know, younger folk like ourselves uh, to start having conversations about with our families and 
granted, these are not easy conversations to have, especially with our parents or uh, individuals who are senior to us. They might always think, you know, it's not the children's responsibility to worry about the finances. You know, you don't worry. You're living your life. You know, let us live ours. We'll take care of it. We've taken care of you your entire life. Why do you think that I need help now? <laughs> you know, these are all things that we hear uh, in dialogue between um, our, our clients and their family members. And what happens is it, it puts individuals, especially those who are, you know, not under the, the, the Medicaid threshold, you know, they, they like, you know, really like the blue collar, really hard workers who have spent their entire lives trying to make it in America and, uh, you know, really have put their blood, sweat and tears and trying to provide to their, for their family um, when they need care and they realize how expensive care is, it's devastating. I mean, it is, it is just so, it breaks my heart, honestly, to see what families have to go through just to make ends meet. And it's not like, oh, well, the home care agencies, you know, you're, well, just lower your price, right? Well, we can only, you know, minimum wage in New York is $15. Now home care workers, um, there are multiple bills in, uh, in the pipeline that are pushing for uh, higher wages for these direct care workers. So on the high end, we pay our caregivers $21 an hour. That's inclusive of all their benefits and everything. So their PTO, any health coverage, um, uh, their transportation, uh, you name it, right? $21 an hour. So let's use that as a, a future base case, right? Let's say every uh, home health aid uh, will you know, require, let's keep it 20 just to keep it simple. $20, then that doesn't involve or include any of the other expenses that agencies have to incur in order to even get that person to the home or in-office staff, um, payroll taxes, any other liabilities that we might have. Um, so uh, unfortunately, as much as we would like to only charge $20 an hour because that's what we're paying the caregiver, we can't because then the agency would cease to exist. Then if you... Yeah, if you don't want an agency, then you can, of course, always go privately. But there are tons of uh, benefits of going through an agency, which I can, you know, really dive into maybe on another podcast. But uh, really, it's it's the peace of mind knowing that you're working with the licensed healthcare provider of these services. You know, somebody's on the hook. You can call somebody anytime. We are here twenty four seven. We have on call, so you can always call us or text us or get in touch with somebody in our office. Um, and also, last minute callouts or um, any kind of staffing changes. Last thing you want is you have one person, all your eggs in one basket, and they suddenly stop coming, and then suddenly your you and your family are left, uh, you know, just hanging uh, without any assistance. So. It's really important that you familiarize yourself and you familiarize specifically your parents or your loved ones when they're nearing an age of, let's say, the mid to late 50s, right? And I know it seems like young. How come I need to think about home care in my mid to late 50s, right? You're still young by normal standards, right? You could be totally healthy. Um, but that is the key time. That is the most important time when you need to be thinking about, okay, how do I pay for this? If I can't afford to pay for home care out of pocket, you know, how do I then uh, qualify for public assistance, right? There, there's no, more people are on Medicaid in New York than any other state. I, maybe that's a big, uh, 
between Texas and Florida, you know, New York is up there, top three. Um, but it is just mind boggling. I mean, Medicaid, the Medicaid program here is massive. And the Medicaid program for those who are, who qualify, who are in the program, who have either, um, you know, just not ever, like, you know, never made as much to, and like are forced to be in Medicaid or those individuals who planned ahead and move their assets and were able to uh, safeguard their assets for their loved ones and for their children um, in uh, different types of financial instruments. Uh, th there's just a total, totally different quality of life than those who have to pay for home care out of pocket. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of stigmas around receiving public assistance. Uh, I, I come, you know, we come from uh, Desi households, right? So I know Desi my parents, means Indian, by the way, guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So we come from Indian households. Um, I, I think we definitely see that in our community, you know, a sense of uh, pride, not taking public assistance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't, and if you do need that, you're usually not telling others. And I think that stigma is very dangerous because that can erase decades of hard work and saving that your parents or your loved ones have done. Um, and, and that they want to ultimately pass on to you and your siblings and your family. Um, it, it could literally take all that hard work and throw it down the drain and just go straight to New York state Medicaid. And that's just one of the most heartbreaking things that I've ever seen. Um, I, I still can't get over it. I, I don't think that there's enough uh, people out there who are advocating uh, for these types of uh you know, like just advanced planning uh, directives or, you know, just, just being smart with your money. You need to make sure that if, uh, unfortunately, home care, you, you don't really know about home care until you need it, right? Yeah. Most people uh, have family members, maybe grandparents that have needed it. But even that is a little bit far removed from you know, some individuals in our generation. Uh, but home care is not the type of thing that you want to just deal with when it happens. I have seen it tear families apart. I have seen it um, take hundreds, if not millions of dollars from individuals, from their savings, from their, from their assets, from their homes, right? You, you, if you don't have the money to pay for home care, uh, you're required to, and you want to qualify for Medicaid, you have to put it in a trust that ultimately goes to the state when you pass. And w whether you use a hundred K of home care or a million dollars of home care. So if you don't have those dollars and you ultimately need it and need to qualify, uh, that is a big stressor in families. And, and I've seen it um, really tear people apart, especially amongst siblings. You know, people don't like talking about money or money is, uh, you know, like a, an obscure topic amongst households, especially the older generations. So to anybody listening here, if uh, you take one thing out of this podcast, uh, please make sure you're keeping open dialogues with your loved ones and your family members. And uh, just really starting to explore, you know, what the, the costs are. I mean, just to give you a ballpark estimate, home care can cost up to, if you have a, uh, caregiver who's there in the home 24 seven, but, uh, you know, they, they stay overnight, but you don't technically pay them for the full day. Okay. You could pay well over $115,000 a year just for home care. I know it's a sticker shock for sure. And, and, and when people 
when people see, I mean, normal providers, the average hourly home care for private pay home care right now is $32 an hour. And just imagine that. I mean, you know, clinicians, I mean, people don't even make $32 an hour. How are you supposed to pay for home care for $32 an hour? Right. We have four hour minimums. So that's, you know, almost $150, $200 a day on the low end. Right. Just imagine if you need more skilled, advanced care, it really is very challenging. And uh, we, we work with nonprofit organizations that uh, specifically assist individuals who don't qualify for Medicaid, but are within a specific income level, um, uh, both income as well as assets. And uh, they get uh, funding through the Department of Aging to help subsidize some of the costs of home care. And a lot of people don't even know that these programs even exist. So it's very important that you think about these types of things and you come up at least with a, a general game plan with your family as to how, if something like this does happen, and unfortunately, you usually don't get any advance notice when somebody needs home care. Um, if something like this happens, do we have the means to fund this? And if not, then what do we need to do to ensure that you qualify for public assistance? New York Medicaid has become significantly harder to enroll in. Um, I think for a number of reasons, some programs in the uh, state Medicaid kind of you know, uh, made a boom that actually caused the huge deficit in the New York state budget, um, specifically home care, because it is a very expensive program to run, but it is very necessary um, for New Yorkers uh, you know, across the board. And uh, what they used to do was they only needed three months of financials. So in three months, you could essentially move your assets out. You could uh, you know, then qualify for Medicaid if you give three months of bank statements. Um, now they are implementing a five-year look back. So that's 60 months that you would need to provide financials for. That is a very, very big difference. Right. And the 60 month is just catching up to the regulations around what you need uh, in order to be placed in a nursing home in New York. Uh, but this is very typical across the board. And uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, state governments pushing for these uh, larger look back periods uh, because it is creating large deficits in their own budgets and um, just financial strain across the, uh, across the industry. So I just, have those conversations, figure out what the game plan is. And uh, you know, if you need any help or any type of assistance, you can always call me. <laughs> so. On that note, um, how do people reach out if they want to contact Universal Care or get more information on the services that you guys provide? Of course. So we are available on all social media platforms. You can email us, call us, text us, whatever is easiest. You can also visit us at universacare.com. Uh, check us out. We actually have launched a new website. Uh, so, you know, it has a lot more information and, uh, you know, please do, uh, do visit us. Uh, you can find us on Google as well. So if anybody's in the New York area and they are looking for home care for their loved one, uh, you can find us online just by Google searching us as well as on the Department of Health's website. So we're around, uh, you can, you know, our uh, Instagram handle is also at University Care. So you can uh, feel free to hit that follow button <laughs> and uh, stay up to date with all of your, uh, you know, all the things that are happening in the home care industry. 
And, uh, and yeah, if you ever need anything, you know, please just, just don't hesitate to reach out. You know, there's no such thing as a, a dumb question. And uh, I think this is an area where people really don't, they don't feel the need to plan for it. And that's the most dangerous thing that I've seen is, is there's no need to plan for home care because if it doesn't happen to me, then I don't have to worry about it. And that is what ultimately puts families under the most stress, whether that be financial, emotional, physical, you know, if, if you don't have a caregiver, that means you're doing the work, you know, or, right. or your loved one is taking care. So that somebody has to, you know, th- these are very, the things that a home health aid does are very essential to just feeling like a human being. You know, these are your activities of daily living. So somebody has to do it. And, and unfortunately it's just not pretty, you know, if you have a, a bed bound uh, grandparent, for example, who can't uh, get out of bed and they have diapers or a commode and you don't have help. I mean, yeah. there's not a large list of people who can help out. So uh, it's, it's challenging and it's not something people like to talk about. And uh, I'm, that's one thing I worry about a lot actually is just uh, what, what it does and how it influences in, impacts also like the Medicaid enrollments. I mean, you know, how, how many people only go into state assistance and, and receive state assistance because of this, right? It's probably a lot. So, yeah. well, I mean, I hope that, you know, if somebody gained something out of this. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about two different things, one on the more business side of things and revamping, and then also on the home care side of things. So please reach out. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And hopefully we'll have you on another time as well to talk about the new developments in the coming months and years. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And that's always a pleasure. So uh, thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in week after week. Thank you for investing in yourself and your well-being. This podcast is free. We don't sell ads. So if you listened to the show today and gained anything out of it, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. And it means the world when you rate and review the show. You can even screenshot this episode and upload it to your social media stories and tag at Sneha Physical Therapy. Subscribe to get updates on new episodes so you don't miss the show. See you again next week with an exciting new guest and topic.